Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, new every Thursday, Podcast One, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Hope you all had a great week and thank you for tuning in. Very quick open this week because we got another double header for you and it's a good one and it's two artists that are kind of connected and share a long history together. We'll start with Phil Collin of Def Leppard. Brand new interview I did with Phil not very long ago. We talk about his fitness challenge, the postponement of the stadium tour, and a whole lot more. You are not going to want to miss that. We will start with Phil Collin. And second, Frank Hannon, guitarist of the band Tesla. Phil Collin recently produced Tesla's latest record, and they share a long touring history together as well. It's always great to visit with Frank. He is quite a character, and a good friend as well. And you're going to love both of these interviews. They happened at separate times, but obviously there is certainly a connection there. As I tell you every week, the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast all originated and happened on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation. And you can hear each and every single weekday, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, Replaying every night, 10 to midnight Eastern, and shows and interviews on demand on the SiriusXM app. If you are based in the U.S. or Canada, please join me every day on volume on channel 106 for Trunk Nation. Here on this podcast, you are only getting a tiny taste of what I do on a daily basis on the radio. And that's where these interviews originally happened that you hear each and every week on this show. I also want to remind you and once again thank our good friends at Goodies Powders. Goodies, great new product. Goodies Hangover. Get it at Walmart, Kroger, and Amazon. If you have a hangover, and there's a lot of people waking up with hangovers right now, my goodness, you need Goodies Hangover. It is a great new product from a company that has a lot of great products. Find out about all of them at goodiespowder.com. We thank Goodies Hangover. And they made some great Trunk Nation stickers we've been giving out. Good stuff all the way around. Be sure to check them out. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, 
at Eddie Trunk, Instagram at Eddie Trunk, fan page at Eddie Trunk, and eddietrunk.com is the official online home. We will come right back and get right into it this week. Like I said, real short intro at the top because we got a lot of interview content with another double dip. First up, Phil Collin of Def Leppard, followed by Frank Hannon of Tesla on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. So sports are starting to come back, and Podcast One Sportsnet has got all the action covered with tons of different sports podcasts. There's something for everyone. Check out the Rich Eisen Show for your daily coverage, the Steve Austin Show for your favorite stories from Steve Austin's amazing career, the Deegans with Metal Militia star Brian Deegan and his extreme sports-loving family, plus many more. As sports return, be sure to tune in to all the great podcasts with Podcast One Sportsnet so you don't miss any action. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. All right, we're back. Let's get to it right now. First up, you know him as the guitar player in Def Leppard for now 37 years. And we talk about some of the early years just before he joined the band in this conversation as well. Phil Collin of Def Leppard, if you think you splurged around the holidays, take a listen to how crazy Phil Collin got during his eating binge. (laughs) I say sarcastically. Here's Phil Collin on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. How are you, Phil? Hey, Eddie. Good, thank you. Actually, great. So I'm on tour with you. So, you know, I had a choice to go on tour or... I talked to you and I chose you, so here we are. <laughs> That's it. You said you knew you had to do this interview, so screw the stadium tour, forget about it. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. What a what a bummer it must have been though, huh? I mean, I, I think even though uh the, 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 the tour was uh you know postponed very late in the game, I think most people, fans included, felt this was coming, especially given the size of the crowds and being in a stadium. How far along were you guys in the process, Phil, before you found out that this wasn't gonna happen? Um, we had the set list, everything, and it was it was a touch and go really, because we wasn't quite sure, you know, when when everyone kind of cl- close to the country down you can't travel and you get travel bans and all that stuff and there's nowhere to play that that was the main one uh even you know hooking up for next year we had to clear with uh make sure there was no you know uh ball games going off in the park so you know it's they're baseball stadiums most of them so it's um yeah we, we had to clear that so we've, we've got we've got the green light for next year and it's obviously it's crazy um in this country it seems to be crazier than anywhere else they've, they've, they've kind of uh yeah, and and this weekend probably didn't help with with all the the new cases and everything. So yeah, we just got to wait until you know we get the green light and it's all safe. But yeah, total bummer. You know, we were all good to go, and um, like I said, we had the set list kind of chose and all of that stuff and rehearsal and all, all of that booked, and and then it was like, nope. So yeah, real drag. Yeah, and and you guys are a band. I mean, Leopard is a band that is 
obviously always touring, especially in the last 10 years or so. The band's been incredibly active, incredibly successful tours. I mean, I had Neil Sean on this show a week or two ago. We reminisced a little bit about the tour you did with Journey. But you play all over the world, and obviously this pandemic is a global thing. So what what is the outlook for Leopard? Like, are you guys in a full holding pattern as far as playing even globally, or are, are you trying to line up some things right now? Yeah, we, we, um, the thing we did line up is, uh, for sure is, is for next year. It's literally, this, this tour, but it's a year from now. Um, that's about it at the moment because things keep changing. Obviously, every five minutes yeah. it, it changes. But it, what it reminds me of is a, a scene in Caddyshack. You're obviously familiar with Caddyshack, right? So, uh, yeah. Um, where he's playing golf and he's going, I'm playing the best round of my life. And, and, and it starts thundering and lightning. And it's like, you know, he's shaking his fist and that, the, the sky and everything. It's like that. This is our biggest tour ever. You know, it was like just flying out the window. The tickets were going crazy and everything. And then it's like you got the plug pulled. So there's a, it's funny, but not really, obviously, because it's just such a, a terrible thing to happen. So, yeah, you know, you, you accept it for what it is. It's like, you know, it can't, can't be helped. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy times. Have you been, because Def Leppard is, always on the road all over the world have i've talked to a lot of different artists during the whole pandemic thing and they've got different views on this some are like just itching i want to get back out there i don't care i love being on the road they're used to being out 300 days a year whatever and others have been like you know i actually needed this recharge it's actually good to be uh, home with family for a little bit for an extended period i know you have a young son you know your family have you been enjoying the time and, and the connection being stable for a long time and, and stationary i should say i really needed the break i really needed to to recharge and all that stuff and, and i didn't realize that till till i got into it uh, the only drag is um it's, it's seeing my other kids i've got five children they, they live in different parts of the country so uh i'd, I'd been um in, in South Carolina, my daughter Savannah just turned 11 in March. It was literally the day after that they, they closed down California. So I got back, I flew back, and after that, I don't really feel safe flying anymore. So that, that's out of it. So that's the only, that's the real bummer for me is, is not being out seeing my kids all the time, just seeing them on Skype and that, which is, is one thing. But um, yeah, I, I really need this to break. And, and it's great because Jackson just turned two. So I'm, he's crying right now. We're, actually, we're, we're outside. We've got there's this wonderful, piece of grass is that in Dana Point there's no people around so it's it's really cool and it's kind of safe to go because there's just no one here so he, he runs around um, so we, we're doing that so that that's kind of cool and it's just a drag about the tour like I said we, we've got a uh, you know all fired up for that and then it's a so um other than that you know just been writing all, all the time you know which is you know everyone goes well when you when you're going to start the Def Leppard album we never really stopped to be quite honest, you know, I've, I've been recording stuff on tour in hotel rooms and, and everything else. So it's a, that's just a, a, a nonstop thing. And I've uh, been writing, writing with my other friends and stuff, constantly playing guitar. So that, that's kind of cool. It's just, uh, yeah, I, again, it's just the weirdest thing ever in, in our lifetime, I think. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you say you're writing. So you have, uh, I mean, I don't, the status of, uh, writing with leopard let's take that one first and, and we're going to talk about something else you're doing which i think everybody could use some help with right now being the pandemic and being a bit sedentary these days but um sure. so we'll get to that in a second but you say you're writing so where where is 
is is a leopard record fully in the works are you guys all trading ideas with an eye to record at some point or is it really just everybody sort of working individually and knocking around some loose stuff right now it's uh, it's always on the go i mean you know we had these t-shirts made up in the 80s it's like, not yet not ready you know <laughs> yes it's coming and all that so we weren't supposed to go to Dublin. Um, literally, I was going to go after Savannah's um, 11th birthday. I was going to leave on the 20th and go to Dublin, and we were going to start getting ideas like that way. So that didn't happen. So, um, yeah, it's just like ongoing. It's, it's, it's like, you know, how long's a piece of string? It's like we've, we've got ideas, we've got enough stuff. And, you know, as you know, in, in this day and age, you, it's, you don't record in the same room. In fact, we haven't done that since the 80s, you know, even, even Pyromania and hysteria were done completely separately um and i think uh i think the only album that we actually played together in uh, or any form of it was, was some of the stuff on slang but other than that it's, it's just been this way anyway so it's something we're very much used to and it's uh that's what i said you know it's uh there's, there's always some stuff on the go and yeah we've just been writing some really super cool stuff so whenever we uh decided when we get a date to be quite honest and we can okay we get some of the stuff it'd be really good to be in a room together and, and for the most part you don't really need that in this day and age. do you miss that though i mean there i again artists have differing views on that too and some will tell me some haven't recorded all in the same room together in a long time and then they get back to doing it and they're like wow it really was cool to get that vibe uh, given the you know assuming we get past this pandemic is that something you miss do you like recording like that would you like to revisit that everybody under the same roof in a, in a big old studio again um we, we kind of did it with the man race stuff and delta deep you, you kind of get a bit of that but we definitely have it it's really not our thing you know it's always been about the the song and and, and getting the parts around the vocal and around the song. So uh, there's, there's an element of like getting it in a room and banging it all down together where, where you kind of miss that because you, you we change the drums. I mean, that's why we always do the drums at last. So you have the song going and it's like, well, yeah, we change this. So the vocal does this now. It didn't used to do that. Or we've got a new chorus and it, and it does this. So if you're, if you're stuck with that in a room, then that, that's one thing. That's, that's great that's, if that's your kind of thing. But we definitely, that's never really been our thing. And, you know, I know that, um, you know, Queen and the Beatles and stuff like that, they, they didn't, they done it the same way as we did it. And it kind of, it works for us. It works for Def Leppard. I was going to say, you know, if it was something like, you know, the Delta Deep, the Man Ray stuff, it's a little different, it's a, a different kind of vibe. And you can actually go into a room and, and kind of bang it out. And I'm not saying never, because I'm sure that we could do that with the old Def Leppard track. I think that would be really cool, especially if we knew what it was going to be, you know, just, uh, just done a live backing track and then take it from there but for most part you know you um you know we, we track everything up and it's this kind of a, a bit of a process um that we've really got good at over the years so it's um yeah we continue to do that no so i don't miss it i mean i I do miss the going into a studio i used to think that was really cool there's something mystical and, and magical about you know going into a room and it's 24 track machine and there's you know like two inch tape and all of these things, but it, it really is a hassle and it's, uh, it, it's not cost effective and it, it just takes so much time and energy. So I think the way of doing this now is a lot better as an artist as well. I mean, you can actually, you, you can go in there and you can get a lot more done Whereas you're, you're waiting around, you're waiting to get a drum sound or, you know, higher and you're kind of tweaking all of this and that and, setting things up, micing cabs up and all of that stuff. That doesn't exist anymore. So it really cuts out a huge middleman and you can actually get on with the artistry and, and the, you know, 
being a band and a songwriter. You can actually get get more done, I think, in this day and age. You, you mentioned two things you did outside of Leopard, both of which I like very much, Delta Deep and Man Rays. Are you are those still Thanks. going concerns? Are you working with, with those bands? Are you do you, you still going to put out uh, music with both of them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you know what what tended to happen. You know, we had all this stuff for um, Delta Deep for, for the second studio album, and um, and I've been working with Paul Cook. You know, we're, we're friends that he came over just before this happened. He came over to LA, and I, I worked on a, a thing with him, and uh, it. It was really cool. He, he actually said, you know, it should have been your solo album. And he said, I think it would have got more traction if, if we'd have done Man Rays would have been that. So I, I'm actually considering with, with all the stuff I've got, cause I've got some instrumental stuff that's really cool, some guitar stuff, and, and, and going and making a solo album out of the whole thing, which I think would be really cool. cool with the same people that would, would have been on a Man Rays or a Delta Deep thing, but just, uh, just in, giving it a different kind of uh, energy or approach to it and, and having it be part of my solo album. Wow. I think, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I, I think it would be pretty cool to get a Phil Collins solo record because you could, you, you, you cast a pretty wide net of the sort of stuff that you like. And with all the people that are Def Leppard fans, you could probably get some pretty amazing special guest performances on there too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I had thought about that. I mean, it's, I've got an album's worth of stuff already. It's just, uh, and a lot of it's already, you know, already done, like completely done. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of uh, committing to that and, and taking it from there. Really. Yeah, it'd be really cool. I could definitely get some, some cool people here and there. Hey, you know, I know this was before your time in the band, but the Def Leppard Early Years box set just came out featuring the first two records, which you were not a part of, but I'm sure you were a fan of. Did you did you get a chance to revisit any of that stuff? And, and, and did that bring back some memories for you? Maybe, I mean, at the time you would have been in Girl and I'm, I'm sure had some, you know, some friendship with Leopard and been a fan or seen them come up in England. So, so when that, did you, did you get a chance to check out the early years box set and did it bring back some, some good memories for, for you from before when you were even in the band? Absolutely. I, I think, um, cause I, you know, when I was in girl and, and, and death, Apple, we were all playing the same little clubs and, and then we do, you know, the Paris theater. All the, there was so many places to play as, as there was in the punk era. There was just like, pubs and bars and, and everything. I remember my, my old best, Dumb Blonde, you know, with a bloody little pub and there'd be a poster and it's the police. You, you know, so it's, all of this stuff was very exciting and, and, and for Joe and the guys, it was just really exciting because the band was trying to find their their sound, if you like. So, you know, looking back at it, it was really exciting. I remember, you know, meeting a yeah, really exciting. And I think when you see that, when you see the, more than anything else, the posters, and you, you hear the stuff is one thing, you see the posters and you see what everyone's trying to put forward. It was actually really exciting. So, yeah, even although I wasn't in the band, it still kind of uh, strikes a chord with me, definitely. Yeah, and and I'll tell you, um, I mean, I, I love that period of the band, and we were having a discussion off the air before you came on, and we're trying to get the the timeline down here because – when your first record that you appeared on was Pyromania, but that record was somewhat recorded already. And correct me if I'm wrong here before you actually came in the band, because Pete Willis does contribute to that record. So when you jumped in and joined the band, where was Pyromania at in the recording? So they'd done all of the rhythm guitars, all the songs were written. And Mutt Langer said, 
just come in and play solos and lead guitar and have fun. It was the dream gig for a guitar player because <laughs> it was like, you know, the, the first thing I did was the solo in uh, Stage Fight, which was the only first take on the album. And, um, and then I kind of developed a thing like um, it was photographed as a solo on photograph and uh, we double tracked that, the solo on Rock of Ages, solo on Falling. And I actually heard a thing the other day. I said it was some, someone remixing photograph and they'd got the tapes and uh, there's this big long ride out solo that I'd forgotten. It's on the record to a point, but this thing keeps going. I, I'd forgotten all about it. My Ibanez Destroyer. So that was that was so exciting. It was so fun for me because it was just like lead guitar and, and, and then vibes. You know, I'd be like playing power chords and like root notes and all, all the really kind of mind-numbingly kind of donkey work that's really essential it was all done they were all the really kind of hard work i just came in and did that fun and then then mark found out i could sing and then I, he had me singing on pretty much everything as well doing the backing vocals and you know t- dual vocals with joe and stuff like that so really exciting it, it kind of it, it kicked it off but it, um yeah it obviously changed my playing just working not just with the guys but with, with mark as well because he has a very uh it's, it's like a teacher. It's like going to your, your favorite lesson at school and learning all this crazy, amazing stuff every time you step in a room with him. It's, it's great. Was was Phil? Was Pete Willis still there when you actually got to the studio? Did you guys ever cross over, or had he been dismissed and you guys never really ever met? Oh, we met. I mean, we've jammed together on stage. I, you know, I've played with Def Leppard before. You know, when I was in girl. So no, we knew, and I, I'd been around at Pete's house and all of this stuff it was but when i joined the band it had already gone at that point it was like i actually thought he was still in the because i went down to see them to to borrow an amp and i lent them one of my marshals they were recording in battle in which is near hastings in england and uh they they were in the studio actually it was the same album that was the irony of it they were actually doing you know working on some of the songs like the backing tracks like kind of the grind of of that part and then uh then literally, like two months later, I'm, I'm actually in the band. I get the phone call. Joe's like, oh, you want to come down and play some, some lead guitar? And it's like, yeah, sure. And I, I didn't realize. He said, well, Pete's not here anymore. It, it's, it's, it's gone because there were some issues. And, you know, it's, it's, it's well documented. You know, Pete had these, these issues. And, it, you know, didn't didn't really gel with the band. And so it was, uh, yeah, I came down. And then before you knew it, we were actually out on tour because the album got released and kind of exploded. And, yeah, it was it was a very strong thing, the whole all of it actually. Yeah, and the last thing on this, and then we'll talk about your fitness challenge. Did you did you and Steve Clark immediately gel as a guitar duo, or did you have to feel each other out for a little bit as you at the time the new guy coming in and then you know going out right on the road together, you sort of have to divvy up who's doing what. So how did how did that work? What was your initial connection with Steve Clark like? It, it was awesome. I mean, I knew him and we played very different. We, we got on really great. So I think the, the, the main thing was um, it was really obvious who was going to do what. Uh, Steve's playing was great because it was, it was very different to anyone I've ever met before. It, was, uh, it, it wasn't standard or, or stock at all. It was like, it sounded like Steve Fine. It was, it was kind of unique, especially it was, it was rock. I always, it reminds me of Jimmy Page. It, it, it comes in from, from a, a different angle or a different approach and everything. So it really was obvious who was going to do what. We didn't, really didn't even think about it. And it, some things would be like, well, if I'm going to sing this part, I can't play this at the same time. So if you play that, 
And then we, we kind of developed this thing for, for the next album, which would, would be Hysteria, where it would be, um, there was this thing, you know, Keith Richards always says he loves weaving sonic tapestries with, with Ronnie Wood. And I, we didn't understand, we'd laugh at it. And, but I totally get it. And me and Steve used to say that because you do it. So if someone's playing a lead line, the other one play a rhythm under it and it'd be a, a, a melodic counter rhythm or a canon to it. All, all these different things, almost like, um, what an orchestra would do with, with, you know, different sections, you know, you'd have a cello playing this, you'd have a violin playing this. And, and that's really how we approached it for the, for the next one, for this theory. And, um, then it become even more fun. It was, it was cause we hadn't really heard anyone do that. Brian May from Queen had done a lot of that stuff himself where, where we would do these different things, but we, we added all these other textures as well, you know, like Andy Summers type textures from the police and, yeah, just different things. It wasn't just like one's going to play lead and the other one's going to play rhythm. That's kind of boring. We actually just approached it. So everything sounds great, but it's, it's, it's kind of backing up the vocal and the song. So you've got to make it sound cool without overdoing it, if that makes sense. And, and, and that was the fun part of it, really. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, obviously I could talk to you forever about leopard history and it's a fascinating period. And I, I love, I thought the way they did that uh, early years box set was, was brilliant. I love the old concert in there. And then it, it's, it, you know, just sets up right before your arrival. And that's why I wanted to bring you into it because where that leaves off is where the Phil Collin era starts sort of starts. So it's a really fascinating time to revisit, I think. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I want to I want to uh, talk to you. You know, I, I reached out to you about this because I saw on social media, the Def Leppard social media account had put out that you were doing a fitness challenge. Now, I know and having known you for a long time that you are always a very disciplined guy when it comes to exercise and diet and what have you. Uh, we've talked about this on and off the air over the years as well. So tell me and the audience about this fitness challenge, because I know that during this pandemic, a lot of people are inside and, uh, eat, you know, eating and drinking and sort of just being a little bit lazy. And in New Jersey, where I live, the gyms still are not open. They are still closed. And right. before you know it, myself, and I put myself in this category, I packed on a few, especially when you're older, it comes back instantly. So tell me what inspired the fitness challenge, Phil. So as soon as there was word that we wouldn't be on tour when we thought we would, we, we actually still thought we'd get the, the end of the summer, to be quite honest at first. We thought, oh, this is going to... And when we realized it, this wasn't going away, I pigged out. I actually thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a point <laughs> of the eating like, you know, veggie burgers with the bread, big buns and like kind of chips and salsa and... Wait, wait, so hold on. Wait, wait, let me just... Let let me just... Phil, hold on. Phil, let me just stop you right there. Yeah. Because this is a really important distinction. For people... For Phil Collin, pigging out means... Eating chips and salsa and veggie burgers. I just want people to process that because that, to most people listening, that would be you know reasonable, healthy eating. But for you, that's going off the rails. Uh, totally off the rails. Yeah, and, and kind <laughs> of um, trying to think what else. Yeah, I, you know, because I'm a vegan, I, I have all this stuff. But you know, chips and salsa, which I love, it's like yes. wow. And and Doritos. You know, there's this sweet chili lime, which is a there's a vegan one, but it's, it's, it tastes great. So I can devour a whole bag and coconut 
ice cream, you know, like this, this vegan ice cream that they have. And everyone goes, oh, you're vegan. It's like, no, it's just still got loads of fat and sugar and God knows what in it. So I knew this and I, I'd done this for a month. It was, it was a bit like supersize me, really. You know, he, he goes in and he's like, oh, let's see what this does. It was the healthiest. Was this it. is the healthiest supersize me ever. The vegan supersize me. <laughs> yeah, but the, I put on 13 pounds, which for me is a lot, you know, because I, I maxed the most I've ever weighed on tour was like 155, 157. I'm usually like 148, 150, around there. So for me, that was a lot. So like, yeah, 163 or something like that is what I got up to. So I, I just thought, you know, this is great. I'm going to document when I, when I come down. And it really took a while. I mean, I actually was been working out the whole time, but not like crazy amounts. And then all of a sudden it was like, you're, you're right. This is struggling to come off. And uh, because I've always kept there or thereabouts, and because I kind of went over the top, it didn't want to come off initially. I, I, mean, I got, got rid of six pounds just last week actually but uh, at first it wouldn't budge it was like no this is your new weight and and this is it and i was thinking oh my god this is old age i'm not going to accept that so i i just kind of tried all these different things so more than anything else it's an experiment that i'm kind of sharing with everyone else as i go through it because it's, it's pretty fascinating to me and it's uh yeah i'm doing different things i did a, a, a full body workout for the first week and and the, the next week i'm doing Split, you know, like with the body splits. You, so you do like chest and triceps on one day. You you do a little bit heavier, and then the next day you you kind of take that off and, and do another body part. So it's a push pull thing, and I do do back and biceps the next day. But I'd be doing abs every day. I'd be doing cardio every day. So it's um it, it's fascinating just just how this stuff works, and you know what wants to stay on, what wants to go off, and uh, and the diet thing is is so important. It's not even just that. It's like when you eat certain things, like, you know, like starchy carbs, like rice, potato noodles and stuff like that. If you're ever going to eat that stuff, you've got to do it really in the morning. If you, if you want to lose weight, you know, that's the, that's the thing. And I, some people are lucky they can, they can do all this stuff. And I, when I'm on a roll, I can kind of get away with, with cheating a bit like that. But right now I, I can't. So it's, um, it's really interesting for me and, and for, for anyone who wants to, you know, try this out as well. Because And the main thing is you, you've just got to keep doing like I, when, when we would uh, try kickboxing training and stuff, and then me and Jean Carrillo, we would work out three months before a tour. And then with Eric the trainer, who, who was for the last few tours, um, we would have a six-week period beforehand where we'd go, and go gung-ho and everything would change. So it depends on what the goal is. So it's right now, it's I'm just experimenting but, uh, and sharing it with everyone else. So it's... Uh, so it's nothing too crazy because you know but when we do go out so I'll, I'll turn it up a notch or ten you know where can people see this where can people follow your regimen is it on the Def Leppard website where do people look for it it, it is it's on the on the Def Leppard website and I, like I say I, I change it up every week it, it's like um, you know my, my biggest vice is my only vice really is coffee you know I don't drink I don't take drugs I don't do any of this stuff so it's uh, that's and I, I kind of, I hate giving that up because, you know, you get headaches for a couple of days and all that. But um, I'll probably do that next week. I'll probably do the coffee thing. Just, again, you know, this is an experiment and it's just kind of, uh, you know, 
purging. Well, wait a minute. Know, wait, wait a minute. So coffee, yeah. and I'm not a big coffee drinker. My, my favorite drink is unsweetened, fresh brewed iced tea with lemon. So I'm good on, on drinks. But but uh, coffee, yeah. where's where's the issue with coffee with you? Do you like to put sugar in it? Because if you're just drinking black coffee, no. th- that's not, is that bad? Not really. Just the amount, you know, it kind of it, blood pressure and stuff like that. You know, it's espresso. I, I'll have a, a black eye, which is a coffee with two shots of espresso in it, and I put cold soy milk in it. And so you know, it's, it 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 kind of um, you get more clarity. Well, I certainly do when I don't have coffee. After about a week or so, I get more clarity. I can sleep better. Uh, everything's cleaner. My eyes, everything. I actually feel a bit more alert. And then when, when I get back into the coffee thing, it's great. And it's a, it's a fun thing to do. And it's something I do every day, but it definitely affects you. I don't think it's, it's that great for you. I, for me personally, I'm, this, is, this is the thing. I, like I said, it's, I have way more clarity and I sleep better when I don't have any coffee or any caffeine at all. Do you have your own gym in your house? I assume you do, right? That's where you're doing this stuff. Or are you able to get out to a gym? It, it, it is. I've got it at home, but um, I, actually next week I think I'm going to do just a, you know, a mat. So you, so you don't need. You can do anything. You see these people on YouTube, and they're, they're like lifting bottles of water and fill it up with sand or something, bands or something like. There's so many different ways. You you don't really need to go to the gym if you if you know what you're doing in the. And see, it's not as much fun, obviously, but yeah, if you had a jump rope. A band and yeah, some uh, one of those things you hook up to the uh, doorway and so you can do pull ups. You're good to go. You know, you, if you just did that, you'd be rocking absolutely. Mm. Yeah, because I think that's one of the problems. And look, I mean, it's definitely an issue in most parts of the country. Certainly where I am, you know, I have a gym membership, but I haven't been able to go since March because it's closed. Right. It's 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 mandated. So yeah. my my thing has been. Uh, I, I weigh myself every day cause I want to keep tabs on where I'm at. And if I'm going the wrong way, try to pull it back and just be cognizant of it because that was really important to me. But the other thing that I try to do in lieu of being able to go to the gym, at least for activity and fitness is to just do something every day. Like I, I realized very quickly, especially during this pandemic that you can easily waste the day away sitting in front of a computer in front of the TV and then not have done anything in terms of just movement. So I at least try to get out and walk a few miles or even a light jog on and off a few miles, just something to like move the blood around a little bit at least every day has made a world of difference in just feeling a little bit better and and that was the one thing that I was able to take away from everything. Now it hasn't. I got a long way to go because I, you know, I fell off the wagon, so to speak, in my own regimen. But I didn't go all the way back to my previous weight. But I'm somewhere in the middle, and I recognized it. And I'm like, okay, I can't get back to the gym, but I'm going to be aware of what I eat, when I eat, and at least try to go out and move every day. Just something. So I would think that yeah, for absolutely. people listening that don't have a gym in their house, would you agree that at least doing something like that is a, is something better than nothing? It definitely is. I mean, because I think what, what it's shocking, what, you know, when when and hopefully you know, when we when we all get back to semi normal, that you you can do something. It would be a real shock. And the the one thing I'm taking away from me doing this, and, and like I said, I, I'm usually kind of there or thereabouts, and I've been working out the whole time, this weight didn't want to go, and it was it was shocking. And what, what I took away from it is that 
it takes longer than you think, it, but you have to be consistent. You, it's, if I thought it would go in two weeks, I thought it'd be back to like 148. It's like, nope, I'm still like, you know, low 150s, but, um, which is okay because it looks okay and the strength there and all that stuff. But um, it, it's consistency. You know, I, I think I'm going to have to, it's going to be, you know, probably two months or something before I get weight wise to where I want to be. And, and, which is interesting because I, I didn't expect, I didn't think uh, uh, one month of, of like pigging out would, would, would be two months of getting back to normal. So that's, that's what I'm kind of seeing right now. It's actually doubling the, the, the time to get back to, to normal. So, uh, yeah, I think that if you do stuff in the meantime, something, anything, it makes it a bit easier when you get back in because that, that's when you get despondent. People go, oh my God, I can't do this. Oh, I can't even be bothered. And I get back to the TV. It was kind of nice and comfy. You know, there you go. So, yeah, it's and, just and not, it's watch, just not and, fair. It's not, it's not fair how that equation works because you got to put in, I find it's at least three months of vigorous work to see. And, and in, a, in less than a month, the three months can come right back if you let off the accelerator, absolutely. especially as you get older. Absolutely. I mean, I'm 55. You're, you're early 60s, right? Yeah, sixty-two. Yeah, so, so when you get I, I, when you get fifty, sixties, it's bad. It's hard, man. It's so hard. But here's the thing, and this is really important. You go, okay. I don't have any problem. I can jump up out of bed and and kick my head. You know, kick someone a six foot six guy's head, just like straight off the bat. I never have any problems because there's some consistency in that. The big problem is a lot of people they on the insides that their insides are not healthy there's fat inside and you you get all these terrible diseases and uh it's just changing the odds so you haven't got to do that you haven't got to kind of uh you know have a walker and and help with, with stuff like that you know if you and it, you obviously can't say that always but for the most part you change the odds so it's um i i'd rather feel i'd rather put in an hour a day and not have to go to the hospital when i'm 60 or 50 whatever you know whatever it is you know how long have you been really sober? When was when that. was when was the last time you had alcohol? Uh, thirty-two years ago, yeah, thirty-three. Wow. It was um, it was um, we were just kicking off the um, hysteria tour, and uh, it was my girlfriend Liz's birthday. We were in Paris. I said, "All right, we'll have, have a drink here," and, and that was it. That was the last one. Was that, was that, did something happen that night or had you been thinking about stopping drinking leading into that? Oh, I'd been trying. I'd been failing miserably. I'd, I'd, um, I tried social drinking I'd, and I I'd, would I'd black out and drive cars and you know, end up with strange looking girls the next morning. I'd go, oh my God, who is this? I'd, oh, all of this crazy stuff and, and dangerous stuff. Like, like I said, I have, to, I have to stop doing this. And, uh, I tried a few times and got into jogging, but it, it was in Dublin, and that was kind of cool. By the by, the sea I'd run there, and social drinking, and that didn't really work for me. So it wasn't really until I kind of went, yeah, cold turkey, full on. And and again, my my girlfriend at the time, Liz, she'd done it with me, so you know we both stopped drinking. And it was on her birthday, and it was like, there you go, and that that really made a difference. And and I, again, you know, it, it, I felt better. I, I would have extra hours in the day I would where I wouldn't be recovering from a hangover. Literally two hours a day. So that's why I started kind of getting into working out, or in that case, running at the time, uh, which I'm not a fan of. But, you know, it's great. You know, it's, it's, got, it's better than <laughs> nursing a hangover. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of approach it like that. And it, um, 
it really helped. It made everything a lot clearer. It made the songwriting better, the playing better, and just, just everything in general. Well, listen, man, you are an inspiration to a lot of people in this department because, uh, you know, to be able to make those changes in your life and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important. And as we all get older, it's, it's more important than ever to, to keep an eye on your health and what you're doing. So I wish you the best of luck knocking off that 15. <laughs> I'm working. I know, on right? I got to knock Thank off you. at least 30, it's, man. It's fascinating. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but it's, it's, it just takes longer than you expect. And it'll come. It'll happen. Just have to do that. But I'll probably do a, you know, whole workout with me just, just doing, you know, bands and push-ups and stuff like that, stuff that you can get around the house. I'll, I'll make a point of making a, a day of that at some point. I, like I said, I've just changed the workout for this week, but I've got like two and a half weeks left to go on, on this thing, so I'll, I'll kind of change it up. Well, everybody follow Phil's progress. Again, go to DefLeopard.com, and you can keep an eye on his fitness challenge and uh, definitely inspirational stuff to, to see the shape that you're in. And, and Phil, even now, as I'm sure you think you've let yourself go a bit, you're still, <laughs> you're still far ahead, most of us. So, uh, you know, but it's great that you recognized it and, and, and you are, uh, you know, you're going to go into another phase here. So, so good luck with that. And I hope. Fingers crossed. I hope we are able to see Leopard on the road, whether it's the stadium tour or your own shows. And are you optimistic? I mean, nobody can predict the future here, but are you optimistic that this is going to be able to happen next year? I honestly don't know. I'd say it's 50-50. I mean, I think we, we, we if everyone does what they're supposed to do, um, then we'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll be there next summer. Literally a week from now, next year, we'll be out there. I'm really looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, and you know, again, me and Nikki Six we were talking. We were getting in shape for it. We were like, going, "How you doing?" and all of this stuff, and it was, it was awesome. And then it was like, at the plug pulled. So we we actually we got a year to look even better. So it's going to be even even cooler. So hopefully that's that's the plan. And yeah, it it depends. It's not us. It's like when you're driving. It's that thing. It's like it's it's not me. You have to watch out for every other idiot on the road. So that's that's where we are right now. But we're ready to go. Almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fans are the fans are optimistic. I don't know if you picked up on this. Some of the fans are, were upset. It was a big talking point because it took a long time for rescheduling and cancellations and attempted at refunds and things like that. I know that's out of your hands. That's a promoter thing. But the way it sort of hung in there. But I think you know, try, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, being that it was stadiums and trying to get those other dates and jockeying around sports, I know probably played into that as well. Well, yeah, it wasn't just the promoters, actually. That that was second. First off, it was like Major League Baseball. You know, that they have to be, you know, we're playing in their building. So that has to be taken care of first. Then the promoters. And then, yeah, we're, we're down on that food chain. So we're, we're ready for when everyone else is. You know, we we're absolutely drop of a hat and we're, we'll be there to, to go. I'll definitely be ready by then. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, best to your family. Uh, send my best to Helen and enjoy the time because before you know it, you'll probably be out there on the road for like three years straight and we'll be talking about that at that point. Hopefully that's the case. So uh, yeah. stay well, stay healthy, and uh, you know we'll keep an eye on your fitness challenge and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep an eye on my own belly and see what I can do about it as well. So thank you for the inspiration. Oh, thank you. And stay safe. You, you too. All right, Phil. Take care, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Absolutely. Cheers. I'll see you later. See ya. Bye. Thanks to Phil Collin. Greatly appreciated. We'll be right back. More. Another interview for you this week on the podcast. 
Tesla's Frank Hannon coming up. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It's Eddie Trunk back with you and Frank Hannon, our second interview this week. As I mentioned before, Frank Hannon very much tied to Phil Collin. Phil produced the latest Tesla record, and Tesla and Def Leppard have shared a long touring history. Uh, Here is Frank Hannon talking about a new band he produced and a whole lot more on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Enjoy. How are you holding up, my friend? (laughs) Eddie, I'm crazy as ever, man. How you doing? That's man? how we when like you. Wingman, when you said wingman, that brought me immediately back to the Monsters of Rock cruise, my brother, when we were up there in the balcony drinking some heavy metal hippie together. <laughs> man, we hey, so I, I want to ask you about a few things here, but speaking of the heavy metal hippie, which is your beer, and when we were on that last cruise, just before all this madness hit, we were talking about how that beer, I swear to God, I had half a can and I was I was buzzing, and we were we were walking on air, me and you having just like one beer. How is that beer doing, man? How is how is uh, heavy metal hippie doing? I imagine right now people could use some of that getting through these times. Yeah, yeah, you know, well, the brewery, Out of Bounds Brewing Company, is a local brewery, and, you know, it was such a fun project. I learned how to actually make beer, and the process of making beer is fascinating. I mean, you know, it takes a month to create a beer from start to finish, from the from the grinding of the grain and the boiling of the water, putting it all together in the tanks and letting it sit, and the flavor of it, and... uh I will definitely say there are no hallucinogenics in the heavy metal hippie beer, even though you may feel that way at some time. <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels like there is. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, it definitely is a strong brew. It's a double IPA, and uh, we're getting ready to brew another batch. Um, unfortunately, we can't do national distribution of it yet, but, uh, you know, they got it on tap here locally, and they do have it in some Rayleigh's and and different stores here locally. Um, but so right now, project. so right but now, the biggest, the best part just went, about it was when Rick Allen from Def Leppard told me <laughs> he really enjoyed it. Yeah, he enjoyed a few. I think <laughs> he really enjoyed it. I, and we all was, did. He was enjoying a few of them before the ship even left port. <laughs> so you can only get your beer in what in Northern California right now? Yes, uh, you know that's or in California they are uh, working on getting it down to Southern California at some nugget stores and things like that. Uh, but man, I'm telling you, this COVID thing has uh, really uh, put a damper on everything—not just beer, but on everything as we know. And that's something else we could talk about. It. I mean, you and I had no idea when we were boarding that ship in February, and they were asking us those weird questions that it was going to result to what we're dealing with now, right? I know we I've said that before. I mean, we got in just under the wire because we were on the cruise and, you know, people were talking about coronavirus then. And we were like, oh, you know, we were everyone was even almost sort of half joking about it. Oh, it's not going to turn in anything. And we're fine. And, we, you know, and then look at where we are now. I mean, I don't think anybody saw this coming. What what is uh what you know, we were just talking, Frank, before you came on the air, because this report came out about stimulus money that the government paid out to bands and artists to help them pay their people. 
And the list of names that took financial aid from the government just blew my mind because it was like the Eagles and Pearl Jam and Tool. And and I'm like, wait a minute. If they're going to be divvying out some money, you know, help out, you know, my boys in like Tesla or LA Guns or Faster Pussycat or Winger or whoever. So, you know, I can't, I don't even know how to process that. Like some of the most wealthy, biggest bands were taking money. Um, how are you, did you, did anybody pay you any money? Man, I'm still waiting for my unemployment to kick in. <laughs> no, I didn't hear about that. I'm going to have to look into that. And the, the, it's funny, the artists that you mentioned there, uh, I don't want to replay any names, but those are some of the artists that are like against the government, I think, you know, so that's kind of hypocritical too, isn't it? Oh, right. It's kind of weird, man. <laughs> that's a good point. If there's well, money being that. given out there, right? Oh, they're all in, right? <laughs> they're the ones that we're all wanting to, to move to other countries, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I better be careful what I start talking about here, but you know, I, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. I'll have to read about that, Eddie. Um, but, you know, we did file for unemployment, and I'm still waiting to receive something for that. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, 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 I'm i just really still in shock, honestly, and, and disbelief and all the suffering. A lot. Of, I feel the worst for our road crew and the guys that, you know, people don't realize when you have a band, there's a lot of other people that are depending on you, you know, like, you know, truck drivers and, uh, you know, the, the lighting crew and the sound crew and people that work for the band sure. that are out of work, you know, the venues, the, the, the union stage hands, so many people are affected behind the scenes. Well, that's, and that's what I was talking about. And I get that. And I get that this money I'm assuming is for their business and the people that work for them, which is needed and deserved. I just couldn't understand. Like if you're the Eagles, like wouldn't you have enough float to cover for a year or two without taking money from a loan? It doesn't make any, any sense to me, but nothing makes sense to me. I mean, we're living in a world where every day there's a different contradiction and hypocrisy. And it's just, a, it's hard to figure anything out anymore. But, and I look, I'm not saying that you or any of the bands I mentioned just by comparison are, you know, in financial trouble. I'm just saying that the bands that play at the theater and the club level for the most part as headliners, you could see them getting some assistance before arena and stadium acts that have been doing that for 30 years you, would, would be taking loans. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, based on what you're telling me, like I said, I haven't read about it and I, this is really the first that I'm hearing about it. And based on what you're saying there, I agree with you a hundred percent. It is crazy for uh, these multi-million dollar uh, corporate bands to uh, to be getting first dibs on the help. Um, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, again, I don't, I don't want to get too into it because I don't have all the information. But right. I would say I for the myself, the world, the, world is, the world is really hard to understand right now. I do not agree with this uh, defunding the police garbage that's going on. Uh, I support the police. I mean, you know, everyone hates a cop until you need a cop. And, you know, I've been in situations where I've needed the help of, of the police. And um, I saw a story about a New York police officer. She was a black female officer. Uh, bless her heart. She was murdered. And now her daughter is on uh, uh, raising the, the other kids by herself. 
And, you know, it's, it's just so sad to see how these people are being treated. I mean, these are the people that were running into the World Trade Center to help people when that went down. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to say something about that, that I, I support the police. I don't believe all this uh, stuff that's going on about that myself. I think they do need to definitely need to examine and weed out the bad cops that have a bad record. I mean, that was horrible what happened to uh, George Floyd and, and other people and injustices that have happened to not only black people, but white people, Asian people, Italians, Irish, everyone, you know, uh, has, has definitely been affected by injustices. Um, but, and so they do need to examine and reform that, but totally getting rid of the police is just ludicrous. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and you, you know, people will realize that when they call for one and one doesn't come, that's for sure. Um, let, let, let me ask you this. So you, in your downtime here, uh, every artist I've talked to in their downtime is been figuring stuff out. Obviously, Tesla, I'm sure you were supposed to be on the road playing with different people. Um, you, you probably are now figuring out what to do at home, right? If Now, I know you produced this band, Red Voodoo. We're going to get to that in a second. But what else have you been working on? Has Tesla, as a band, been working on new music? No, Tesla has taken a break, you know, and honestly, Tesla needed a break. Um, so this has been kind of bittersweet for Tesla. Um, but we have been recording some, some cool isolation videos. We did Breaking Free. Uh, we did uh, uh, Lazy Days, Crazy Nights. And we're probably going to get together and do a couple more songs uh, like that to, to have fun and entertain uh, our fan base, you know, with making these videos and stuff. Um, but uh, I've been working with Gibson Guitars and uh, created a signature acoustic guitar. I'm going to be doing some work with Guitars for Vet uh, charity along with Gibson and working on becoming an ambassador for that for uh, PTSD victims, uh, veterans. Uh, we're working on that project coming up. Um, and, you know, I've been playing with my dog, man. I'm telling you, my dog has never been happier. <laughs> <laughs> You, <laughs> you, did, may you, know, have, uh, you may not you may not have money to feed it in a little while, but he's my, happy. I found, my, I found a button. I'm sorry. What? I said you may not have money to feed it if this keeps on, but you're ha he's happy for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we uh, we we've started a merch store now uh, with Manic Merch Company, and uh, you know, we've got a couple different items we're going to be selling for merch, but. Uh, Luckily, I saved a little bit of money last year, so uh, I'm hoping that doesn't run out, you know, and uh, I'm a hardworking guy. I'll find another way to make money if I have to, if I got to go push a lawnmower again. I mean, that's how I started out as a 13-year-old kid and bought my first guitar was by pushing a lawnmower around the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I could see like the Tesla landscaping truck coming through the neighborhood. You know, there's Frank, you know, hey, Frank, I need some mulch, you know, do, do a little little trim over here. Hey, look, God forbid. I mean, not that God knows we need landscapers, not to say that, but I know you're in a better, you know, you're not, you're not quite at that point yet because you guys have, you know, had a great deal of success, but there's a lot of bands out there that are struggling and trying to figure it out. And, you know, everybody's doing what they can with the time. Some are making the most of it and enjoying being around and others are starting to get the itch to to get on the road a little bit do you guys as does tesla have anything on the books at all right now or are you just waiting to see 
uh, when when things loosen up? Uh, there is still a couple shows that I see on the calendar that haven't been officially canceled yet. Um, there's a Thunder Valley concert here in, in our hometown of Sacramento. Man, and I just really hope we can put, put it back together with Alice Cooper and Lita Ford and do that package uh, next year. Uh, we, were, we were scheduled to do the Hollywood Bowl uh, this year and a lot of other killer uh, gigs with them. So I hope, you know, it gets rescheduled. Uh, but, you know, first and foremost, I just hope they get a handle on this virus and whatever's going on and how the reality of that, you know. Uh, so that way everyone is safe when they do go to concerts and then and they're not having to wear masks and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, but there's nothing really on the books, and it seems like everything is just kind of uh, getting canceled one by one for this year anyway. What about the horse thing? The, you, you were telling me a while ago, you, you, you showed me pictures of, uh, what do you call it, a horse? What, what was that thing you were doing with horses? Uh, I was doing, I do a charity event uh, in Dallas, in Fort Worth, Texas, called the uh, Charity uh, Foundation that donates to the uh, cancer patients in the Texas, Fort Worth, Texas area. It's a cutting horse. It's a sport of cutting. Uh, my wife is really great at riding and she's really great at it. And, you know, and I jumped into it with her and we do it together um, as a passionate hobby and, and a thing that we love to do. Um, but again, that, that's been affected too. That's really slowed down uh, this year uh, for us. Uh, everything has been put on hold this year. And so, again, the bittersweet thing to that is, is it's, it's allowed me to, to have time to really do another thing that I'm passionate about, which is recording and working with other bands throughout my whole career. Honestly, um, I've always done demos and made recordings and helped other bands that are local bands in my hometown. Even a couple bands that I've met in other towns, uh, you know, cause I love the, the, the art of recording and writing songs and co-writing songs and doing that kind of stuff. So this downtime has allowed me the, the creative uh, freedom to pursue that passion. Tell me about this band, Red Voodoo. Now the song is out. I know you produced them. I know they're super young kids. You sent this to me a while ago. I played some of the song the other day. We're going to play a little bit when we wrap up as well so people can hear this band. But when I saw and heard this band and saw the video, and I knew you had produced it, I mean, they're super young. They look like, I guess they're in their late teens. But to me, it felt very much like a band that was absolutely inspired and influenced by Tesla. And that's not a bad thing in any way, but it definitely had that sort of spirit. Uh, tell me about how you found these kids and you decided to work with them. Well, you know, I've been, like I said, I've always been uh, working with local artists here on a local level. And uh, ironically, uh, the band Red Voodoo, uh, the singer's dad, was in a band that I did some recordings for back in 1989 or 1990. I mean, years ago when I had a little portable studio and they were practicing in a shed and I brought that little portable studio down there and recorded eight songs for them and made their little uh, demo tape for them. Well, fast forward 30 years and uh, the bass player of that band, I think they were called Treason. Uh, his kid is 17 years old and is just a phenomenal singer. 
And uh, recently, I've also been producing another kid named JT Lux, who's a very talented guitar player, songwriter, singer guy. And I've been coaching him, and he told me, hey, you got to hear this kid, Dino. He's a great singer. So JT told me about Dino, and then Dino's dad brought him over to the house, and I listened to him sing, and he learned a Tesla song. And I was jamming at a club that night, and he sat in with me, and it was really obvious to me that he was a great singer. But here's the deal, man. You can be a great singer, a great guitar player, but if you don't have a great song or hopefully... <laughs> great songs, plural, it doesn't make a bit of difference. So I've I been telling them and hammering the off to them this, yeah. the same thing that Cliff Bernstein and Peter Minch and Tom Zutat and Ronnie Montrose hammered home to Tesla. you got to learn how to write great songs. And I say it you know, all the we time. were very lucky early on as Tesla to be coached by Montrose and Dwayne Hitchings and, and Steve Thompson and Michael Barbiero and Cliff Bernstein to hammer home to us to write a song. You got to take the, the three or four minutes of a song and make that the best it can be and keep it as real as possible. So, you know, fast forwarding again to Red Voodoo, they sent me some songs, sent me some songs. And then when Dino sent me the core idea for this song, Rise Up, which is about what's going on today in the world with, with being isolated from his 17 year old point of view, I was like, yes, now we're talking. We got some real deal here. It's real substance. And so we took it and we, uh, I helped them rearrange it and record it. And we created what I feel is a really cool song. You know, what I, when I heard the song and I, I saw the, uh, the front man, Dino, singing, great voice, and I, I watch him fronting the band. And to me, he was mo even moving sort of like Jeff, even the way he spun and presented to the camera and stuff. It de definitely looked like he was, you know, watched Jeff a lot as, as a front man, which again, nothing wrong with that either. But the one thing that I really loved, Frank, and I thought the song was real good and I thought, you know, very promising. I mean, obviously it's just one song now. We'll see where, where they go. But when I read the press release about the song and the quote from him, and I mentioned this on the air at the time, what really resonated with me was he said, I'm going to take advantage of this time in quarantine to hone my skills as a songwriter and write. And you never hear young people say that. It's always like, well, I'm going to work on building the social media. I'm going to work on the marketing. I'm going to work on you know my guitar skills, my this skills, my that. I couldn't agree with you more, and I tell young artists that all the time. There's a million great musicians. Great songs are what really makes things go. And when I saw in that press release that he acknowledged that, that he that his thing was, I got to work on my songs. It's all about getting better as a writer. I was like, this kid knows what's going on. This is exactly, this guy's gotten some good mentoring because he's getting the right advice, and his focus is clearly in the right place. Yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that, man. And and again, that was hammered home to us by when we were young by some very important and very uh, smart people, uh, you know. And I'm really, it's really rewarding to finally have some young musicians that that are willing to work on that and to listen. Like I said, man, I've I've been trying to help. You know, I could probably say there's literally, not exaggerating, a hundred bands throughout my whole thirty years of career of of making demos for bands and stuff. And, and 
finally to have some young guys that are really willing to listen and take heed to that and, and learn, it's really rewarding, man. And uh, I, was, I had mentioned JT Lux. I'm going to send you some of his material, man. And this kid has written 10 songs in the past six months, and it, it keeps cranking out the songs. And the key to songwriting is, is just give it a chance, man, and, and, and jam with your buddies and record it. Record on your cell phone, memo, whatever it is, all your ideas, and then you filter them out and just take the best of the best of the best. But it takes time, and you got to just really go with that mentality of, hey, man, I really want to you know, create a song. Yeah, no doubt. Frank, what's the next move with those kids? Are they going to, I guess they're working on writing and making a full record. Is that the plan now? Are you going to work with them going forward? Yeah, we're working on some new songs, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, obviously there's not any financial uh, motives here. So they're helping me uh, do uh, work around the ranch here. And, and they were, after they had uh, helped me do a bunch of, uh, tree trimming the other day we sat around the back patio and they played me some more of their new ideas <laughs> you know after oh, so wait, you, so wait, you got them cutting hours. the you got them cutting the grass i got i see how it's working now you're producing and they're cutting the farm it's called horse trading my friend you know <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, they're scratching my back i'm scratching their back no it's been a it's been a very uh a, a healthy positive thing you know um Sometimes the best song ideas actually come from when you're doing uh, just, you know, labor and work and you got your mind that you're not in the studio. You're actually outside doing stuff in the sun, you know. But, uh, yeah, they played me a new song that they're working on. Uh, I believe it's called Mystery Girl or something like that. It's really cool. They've got another song. Uh, uh, it's called Bring It Back. It's their homage to, you know, bringing back good old-fashioned rock and roll. And, you know, so they've got a lot of song ideas. but. Again, man, when, when Cliff Bernstein told us that Def Leppard had, you know, 30 songs before they even put the, the 10 on Pyromania, you know what I mean? It takes, you got to write a lot of songs to pick yeah. out the best. So we're taking our time. They're taking their time. And they're going to develop more songs. And uh, like I said, I've got a few other artists uh, that I'm working with my, with my production company. I had mentioned JT Lux. I think we sent you one of his songs to get a chance to check it out. Um, Greg Golden is a, is one of my great friends who's a songwriter, guitar player. Uh, there's a kid named Austin Moe that I'm working with and that's about it for right now. And I'm, uh, I don't want to get too over swamped with this thing, but I did want to say, you know, you were talking about Dino and his being influenced by Tesla, but honestly, it's Sammy Hagar that is a huge influence, not only to Dino, but to Tesla too. I mean, Montrose and, you know, when we met Jeff Keith, we met Jeff Keith because he was singing a Sammy Hagar song in a singing contest. I don't know if people really know that, but that's a piece of Tesla history right there. Jeff Keith was singing a Sammy Hagar song with the headphones on in a singing contest in a club, and that ultimately led him to coming to us and getting the gig. What song was it? Do you remember? You know, I think it might have been Your Love is Driving Me Crazy or uh, it's one of those early Sammy Hagar solo songs from like 1982 or 83. Um, right. I think it was Your Love is Driving Me Crazy, I think. But, you know, that's a great question and I should find out. But the thing <laughs> is, man, is, you know, Tesla covered Make It Last by Montrose and we were, you know, friends with Ronnie 
And Sammy Hagar is such a great performer. And that's, you know, something that gets overlooked sometimes when we mention our influences. And I mean, we're always talking about Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or whatever, but Sammy Hagar is an icon, man. And he rocks. And, uh, He's a bigger influence than I than I think a lot of bands give credit for. Oh no, I mean, look, I, I love the guy. He, I was a huge fan growing up. He's become a good friend. He's a he's a wonderful guy. And what's remarkable about Sammy, and I say it all the time, is you know, look at his body of work. It's incredible, and he's still doing it. He he made a record last year called Space Between. It was the first concept record he ever made in his career. And it's really good. If there was any justice in the music industry, it would have done really well because it was a great record. Uh, he is still putting out a record every year or so. He's still out there on the road in normal times. He does great charity work. I mean, and, and here's this guy. He's in his like, uh, you know, mid seventies at this point and he can still sing like effortlessly. It's crazy. He, he really is a freak. And I mean that in the best of ways. And he writes killer songs. And again, he yeah. gets back to the song, you know, like, you know, uh, only one way to rock is, is a tribute to rock and roll. But then, you know, a song like right now, or, you know, where Eagles fly, you know, like he, he writes songs with really great spiritual messages in them too, you know? So he's a very versatile songwriter and a killer singer and then a, and a fun performer to watch on stage still at his age. Now it's, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you a few other things that we were talking about before he came on the air. So, so, and I think I brought this up to you before, but the name of the band Tesla, and now that there's obviously Elon Musk is in the news constantly and all the things he's doing and Tesla cars and all that. Did you have any, did you guys ever have any issues with that company with the name of your band? Did, did they ever, you know, like, or actually, I mean, you had the name way, way, way before them. Did they have to come to you? Did anything ever go down with that on a business level? No, uh, you know, what we learned is that a name, you know, or a title of a song or a album title, you know, you can't really own that. Um, and they divide it up into different, uh, applications. Okay. So obviously Tesla, the band, us, uh, used it in the entertainment industry and music. And so for them to use it in the automotive industry is a completely different thing. And if anything, it's just brought more awareness to Nikola Tesla, who we both are borrowing the name from. And he's the man who invented everything we're using today as far as wireless technology and his concepts of electricity and alternating current and, you know, it, it brings more attention to him and his contributions to the world ultimately. So it's a great thing all the way around. So you guys didn't get any free Teslas or you didn't have to pay him anything. It's just kind of like everybody's like in their respective corners. Yeah, they, they have their market. We have our market. And, you know, the only connection I've ever seen is I did see a picture of Elon wearing a Tesla, the band t-shirt from like the great radio controversy era. <laughs> so is that right? I, am, I, I do think he knows about our band. Well, he should, maybe, maybe you get a free, maybe you get a free seat on SpaceX and get to go up into space. Maybe it gives you a free ticket to that at least. I'll pass on that, but <laughs> I got <laughs> other things to do on the earth first, but I appreciate the, the sentiment, man. And, you know, I did ride in a Tesla car. My friend, Mike Dobby uh, brought a Tesla car to the show and uh, gave us a, a Tesla cruising, a Tesla tour. 
in, I, I don't know, I think it was Tucson, Arizona or something. And, man, that's a fast freaking car. That thing goes from zero to 60 in a split second. Uh, yeah, I drove. You know, so he I, does make a great car, and, uh, you know, God bless him. Hats off to him. Yeah, I drove one in Vegas. My friend Paul Davis had one in Vegas a couple years ago, and I was out there, and he's like, yeah, drive it a little bit. And I was like, man, it's like it, you don't even hear it, and you're just going. It's crazy. I, they're they're amazing. I don't I don't have a hundred a hundred grand right now to spend on a car, but man, if I did, they they are pretty pretty badass. But I, I don't know. I think if he's wearing your band shirt. At least he could do is flip everybody in the band one of the sedans or something and just say yeah, a little something something. I mean, there's got to be there's got to be somewhere down the line some synergy with Elon and you guys. I I see him turning up at a show, you know, maybe pounding his fist down front to Edison's Medicine. I don't know. I think there's something coming. Well, I really love the way you think there, you know, and so feel free <laughs> to give him a call and and <laughs> let's put together a Tesla festival and have our band. And uh, and all the vehicles on display, and uh, let's do it. And uh, yeah, a couple artists endorsed cars would be a good idea. I agree with you. <laughs> hey, I had Jeff on not too long ago talking about the Abbey Road Unplugged. We should mention there's a relatively new Tesla record out there, which is the uh, you know the the thing you recorded at Abbey Road, the the new acoustic record. How's that gone for you? Man, that was such an amazing experience. Um, talk about being a bundle of nerves. I mean, we threw it together really quick. We got the news that we were going to London to to be there for a week prior to some festivals that we were scheduled to play. So we got together when we rented a hotel room and we started revisiting the five-man acoustic jam stuff and practicing some songs and, and practicing some of our new stuff acoustic style. And when we walked into that studio, man, they had all the video cameras rolling and, you know, it was a very small audience. There was like 20 press people there with pencils and papers taking notes in the audience. That was about it. So it was a really high profile, nervous type of gig. And we went in there and uh, Gibson Guitars loaned us a bunch of uh, really nice acoustics. I had my Love Dove prototype there with me. Uh, we put it together very fast. And, you know, sometimes the best things happen that way. Even the five-man acoustic jam from the original album was put together really quick. It was a random accident that happened. So, uh, you know, I'm very proud of both of those albums. The first one, the five-man acoustic jam, and the five-man London jam from the Abbey Road studio. And just being able to be in that room where the Beatles made that amazing music was just a, uh, a life bucket list experience, man. Is there a video for that? Did you guys shoot that? Because I've not seen anything. I mean, is there a Blu-ray coming out? Are you going to stream something? Was it captured on camera? Oh, yeah. They captured it, and I believe they released the Blu-ray video uh, of it. And, you know, that's something I, I, I might talk to our management and say, hey, guys, why don't we uh, break up some of them songs and put them out there on, you know, social media so people can see it more. Because, yeah, there's a, a killer live video performance. Uh, it was like a multi-camera shoot and it was done right there in that Abbey Road Studio B there. Uh, Five-man London jam recorded in Abbey Road. Not just audio, but video. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I have the CD of the audio, but I've never seen the video or even a clip of it. So I, I got to look for that because I would love to see it and you know crank that up on my home theater. I think that would be awesome, especially, like you said, such a historic location, having done it in Abbey Road. So definitely would have to, have to look into that. Um, two more quick things. I hear that Brian Wheat, of course, your bass player and co-founding member of Tesla, is doing a book, an autobiography. Have you read it? Are you worried about what's in it? <laughs> Is it going to break up the band when it comes out? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad he's going to release it because I know personally he has been working on that book for a long time. I mean, he's been talking about it. He's had a couple different people um, helping him with it. I mean, gosh, probably for the past at least 10 years, he's been mentioning it and talking about it. Um, you know, and he'll be brutally honest. I mean, Brian is a brutally honest guy, and he's going to probably spill a lot of beans, and that's great, man. I'm not worried about it because, you know, the truth is the truth, and whatever uh, he, he wants to write about is 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 going to be fun to read, I'm sure. You know, Brian has had a very uh, fascinating life, man, and, you know, from his upbringings, and, and he and I come from South Sacramento, and, uh, you know, he was raised in a family with, with five brothers and and really had a a tough upbringing, you know, and the title itself, son of a milkman, you know, gives you a hint on what he's going to touch on. So, you know, that's a true thing. His dad was the milkman and, uh, you know, we grew up in a tough neighborhood and I I really hope that he, he, uh, writes about our upbringing in in South Sacramento a lot. And I'm sure he's going to talk about a lot of the crazy stuff we did on the road. And I'm actually looking forward to reading it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and if he picks on me a little bit, I don't care, man. I'm used to it. <laughs> I look forward to reading as well. I'm sure we'll be having a mom when it comes out. I think it comes out in a couple months. And the last thing, uh, most people know, maybe some don't, your father-in-law is the great Dickie Betts from the Allman Brothers. How is he doing? Because I know he had some health issues. How's he been holding up? How's, how's his health? Man, talk about a survivor and a fighter. I mean, you know, he is doing well. We do, you know, what's really great about technology is this FaceTime uh, thing. We've been FaceTiming with him, and he's always got a big grin on his face. And he and his wife, Donna, are, are uh, relaxing and just taking it easy, staying home. And, you know, with FaceTime, you know, my wife can get on her horse, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll FaceTime her riding around the arena, and I'll see his reaction, and he just loves sharing uh those experiences with us via facetime and he seems to be in great spirits and i know he's just you know resting and taking it easy and enjoying his uh retirement but you know he's earned it man he's survived a lot of ups and downs i mean talk about a guy who you know survived the almond brothers and then his solo career and all the ups and downs through the 70s and 80s and 90s and then had that horrible accident of you know, falling down and having his brain surgery. And he's just bounced back every time. He's a very resilient guy. Have you ever jammed with him? I mean, you're such a big Southern rock fan. I mean, to, for your, for your father-in-law to be Dickie Betts, it's gotta be pretty surreal. Have you ever jammed with him? Um, yes, I have had, uh, some fun times with him at the house there in Florida, whenever we visited and, and, uh, we jam in his jam room together and, um, whenever he's been on the West coast, like in Reno and San Francisco and, uh, Jackson, California. And we even took a trip up to, uh, to Oregon 
and followed the tour bus. Uh, he's always invited me to jam. He's jammed on my solo album, Six String Soldiers. Uh, he plays a guitar solo on a song uh, called Touch the Ground. It's on my Six String Soldiers album. He was here visiting us, and um, I traded him a bottle of wine for a guitar solo. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you didn't make At least you did not... At least you didn't ask him to cut the grass like you're making the Red Voodoo kids do. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have been surprised if he would have done it because, you know, Dickie's a hardworking guy, man, and it's that hardworking spirit that uh, is willing to do those kinds of things. You know, now, I mean, you know, but seriously, I had the studio set up and I invited him up and I said, hey, I've got this song. I really would love it if you would jam on it. He listened to the song first to make sure he liked it and he said, yeah, I'll do that, but you got to run to the store and get me a bottle of wine. I said, okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> That's amazing. We, we have to, you know, we got we to gotta cherish all, those, all the moments we still have with, with all of these, these icons as they get older. You know, Charlie Daniels just died the other day. I mean, it's just, you know, all these, all these amazing icons of uh, their, their genres of music we're, we're losing as time goes on. And it's, it's, good that he's, it's good to hear that Dickie's still doing well. He's doing well in the sense that, man, he's, he's actually settled down and enjoying his retirement. And um, thank goodness for FaceTime and being able to communicate. My wife has been out multiple times recently uh, to, to help him through some of that medical stuff and visiting. And, and I've been out multiple times. Every time the cruise ship would come back in Florida, I'd always rent a car and go visit. And, uh, yeah, it's he's he's chilling and uh we're all chilling man you know we're all hanging in do. there yep well listen my friend it's oh, great yeah, to always charlie, visit with speaking you of charlie daniels yeah dickie and charlie were very close and i actually just posted a picture of my wife christy uh with charlie the like the very first night we met i uh, saw that she yeah i saw that she sent me a picture of her and charlie hanging out yeah yeah, I uh, I saw that. I met Charlie Daniels recently. It was about, but not even a year ago, year and a half ago. I was doing this TV show for Access TV, and I was at this uh, this country festival in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and he was the headliner, and he was the guy I interviewed. It was in the show, and uh, I mean, he died at eighty three. He was this was a year ago that I probably first met him and did this shoot, and I couldn't believe how great he looked his energy level he was just you know he see i walked away from that interview being like man that guy's in tremendous shape uh for his age i couldn't believe he, at that time he was like 82 so he you know it was a bit of a surprise even though he was older that he passed away just because i had you know i just spent some time with him and I, I walked away being impressed with how you know how great he still was yeah, and working all the way up until the last minute, man. Yeah. And it's those kind of guys like Charlie Daniels, you know, Dickie Bent, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson. I mean, look what he's doing. He's still out there rocking. That's and insane. he just put out a new album. Willie Nelson did. Uh, yeah. You know, those guys are the in inspirations to me, man. The hardworking guys. Uh, you know, I saw uh, uh, some photos of Charlie Daniels. Just like within the past ten years, he was playing for the servicemen over men and women over in Korea. Uh, someone, a, a local friend of mine, was in a band playing in the in the uh, armed services, and he was over there performing for them. You know, yeah. uh, so that you got to love that that spirit of hard working and uh, 
and continuing on. And that's what this song, Rise Up and Be Strong, man. That's what we want to encourage people to do is try not to get depressed and try not to get down and just try to stay strong. All right, well, we're going to play a little bit more of that song for everybody now as we go into break, but I'm going to let you go. Um, you know, s- stay strong yourself, man. Stay healthy. Hopefully we will be seeing each other soon. See if you can get that brewery to send a little heavy metal hippie out to New Jersey for me, will you? <laughs> see, see if they'll you know package some up. I'll work on that right away, Eddie, and I, I really appreciate uh, everything and all the support you, you give to me, and not only me at Tesla, but the new up-and-coming bands like Red Voodoo and, and every everyone else, man. Thank you. I know we were going to go to the Dallas International Guitar Festival. Yeah. That's been postponed again. But I did want to send a shout-out to the Monsters of Rock Cruise, man. There's a possibility that I'm going to take a trip down to L.A. and jam in their studio there. They got a live stream of yeah. Monsters of Rock Cruise. We, have, we haven't nailed down the date yet, but we're working on that. Yeah, there's been tons of bands and tons of friends that have been doing that, and I've been mentioning a lot of that as as it's been going. And uh, yeah, they're they're doing the same thing, man. Just trying to keep the name out there and give everybody a place to play and give everybody a cool environment to see some some cool stuff streaming. But you know, we all love all this streaming stuff. It's cool. It's a nice little band aid. But obviously, the idea we all hope for soon is that we can all get together and crack a beer and get shoulder to shoulder and. Like we've done so many times, pump our fist and get into seeing some some great rock and roll. There's nothing. There's no substitute for being out out in that crowd or for you being up on that stage doing what you do. So we hope we all get back to that soon. Absolutely, my brother. Hey, well, let's stay in touch and uh, let me know if you're out in California, and I'll let you know when this uh, live streaming thing happens. Well, my thanks to Frank Hannon. Always great to visit with him. And thanks earlier to Phil Collin of Def Leppard. Thanks to you for listening wherever you are in the world listening. Thank you for doing so and spreading the word about the Eddie Trunk podcast, which is new every Thursday, podcast1.com, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. And thanks to our friends at Goodies Hangover. We appreciate them very much. Learn more at goodiespowder.com. And also check out that new product, Goodies Hangover, available at Walmart, Kroger, and Amazon. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Be sure to listen to me each and every day, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, on Sirius XM 106, volume, Trunk Nation, heard live there, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, every day. The interviews you hear on this radio show are courtesy of that program. See you next Thursday for another all-new episode. Have a good week, everybody. (laughs) 